This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Fresh FM and I, Matt, am joined on the line by Ali Cave. It's the first time I've talked to Ali in a while. We are together for the Nelson Film Society Film Preview. Hi, Ali. Nice to be talking to you. Hi, Matt. Yeah. Hi. It's good to be back with you. Yeah. So you, of course, are joining us on the line from Auckland. Are things going okay for you up there? Things are going very well, considering, I mean, <laughs> you sort of lose of what normal or well is yeah. after a while. But, um, hey, listen, I, I'm really thrilled that Nelson Film Society members have been and are able to watch these last films of the season. Yes. So we're coming close to the end of another successful Film Society year, bar COVID. But, uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. Yes. Now, last time uh, we caught up with Chris, the restrictions were only 50 in the cinema. Now, I'm assuming that's changed. Would that be right? Yeah. I just, yeah, I want to say to the listeners that at level two, cinema audiences are limited to 100 people. So be sure to book a seat through the state's booking system. And remember, you need to wear a mask while you're seated. In fact, I've just gotten an email through from Chris, yes. and I'll just tell you here, online booking via the State Cinema's computer system is open again today. Nice. And he says, book for yourself and those in your bubble who wish to sit together, and then the program will allow a one-meter space to the next individual or bubble. Cool. So, Excellent. There you have it. <laughs> Excellent. That's that's good to hear that they've uh, got that rolled out and working. I'm sure uh, everyone concerned will be happy with the increase in numbers. It's really good. And it is it is lucky that the Film Society is still managing to show films uh, under these conditions. It's really nice to see a little bit of normality back into, you know, some people's lives. Yeah. yeah although I, I was sorry you weren't able to watch Louis Mao's <sighs> Elevator to the Gallows a few weeks. Go and due to lockdown restrictions. That's right, yes. But I think you will enjoy this Tuesday's French crime classic. It's called The Murderer Lives at Number 21. Or, or should I say, L'Assassin Habite au 21. Oh, <laughs> well done, you. Um, I'm assuming then, yes, French. Is this correct? That's very good. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you, you picked that up and didn't tell me. <laughs> yes, it was the 1942 debut feature film for Henri-Georges Clouseau. And not only was this his directorial debut, but also the fourth screenplay that he wrote for the Nazi-owned company Continental Film. Ah. 
The story is about the hunt for a serial killer in Paris who always leaves his calling card with the name Monsieur Durand on his victims. Hmm. It's a thriller, and it also has elements of light comedy, as this was the style of most mystery films during the German occupation of France during World War II. It moves at a frantic pace, and the runtime is only 84 minutes. So, the cool but patient inspector wins, which is actually short for Wenceslas, is assigned to the case, and his girlfriend, the sexy and cheeky Mila Malu, attempts to help him find the criminal. The combination of these two characters, played by Pierre René, an actor who had already established his reputation on the stage for the Comédie Française before going on to appear in over 60 films, and Susie Delaire, the music hall singer and dancer, actress, vaudeville, and comedienne, helped to give this Agatha Christie-style murder mystery a somewhat screwball comedy effect. Mila is forever the struggling actress determined to be noticed. This killer manages to be everywhere at once, but Wins is given a lucky break, and he and Mila follow clues to a seedy boarding house at 21 Avenue Junot, where they hope to find the murderer. So, their job is not going to be to locate where the criminal resides, rather to determine which of the sordid but eccentric suspects who live there is the killer. And what better way to infiltrate the house than to live there? So, Wins takes a room at the house disguised as a Protestant minister, and Mila surprises Wins by showing up there, too. Right. Over a period of time, there are a few suspects arrested, but as one person is arrested and is in jail, another Durant murder occurs. So they all have to be released. Of course, both Mila and Wins will eventually discover who is responsible for the murders when the film moves to an exciting climax. That's about as much as I think I'm going to tell you. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> There's a cliffhanging moment when we wonder if the police will arrive in time to rescue. Oh, but then I said I wasn't going to say anything more, <laughs> except to say that the mystery will have you thought until the very end. Wow. There's a combination of slapstick, humor, light drama, and horror, and the actors are obviously enjoying just hamming it up. Yet, while on the face of it, this is a light and airy whodunit. Cluzo has cleverly managed to use this as a device to distract you from some hard truth going on at the time. This is a clever mixture of humor and drama. Every directorial feature of Cluzo involved deception, betrayal, and violent death. And he felt comfortable focusing on the darker side of humanity. He was definitely influenced by that master suspense Alfred Hitchcock. The film was based on a novel, and Cluzo teamed up with its author, Stanislas André Steeman, to write the script. This was his second time adapting a Steeman novel to the screen. Although the film proved popular with audiences and critics of the time, Steeman apparently did not like the adaptation of his book. 
He didn't like Cluzo's introduction of the flaky Mila, nor did he appreciate having the murder set in Paris. And I don't think he liked the comic touches Cluzo added, and the and then there were none approach to finding the murderer. The script and the performances are particularly engaging when you bear in mind the wartime restrictions of 1942 when France was occupied by Nazi forces. This was during a time when all American films were banned. Still, Clouseau manages to include subtle digs aimed at the Nazis while also reflecting contemporary issues. There is a scene in which a criminal has his hands raised only to have one arm lowered by Inspector Wynn so that he can light a match on the man's neck and thus making the villain look as though he's performing a Nazi salute, which was quite brave of the director. And, as well as being politically challenging, it's also somewhat of an anti-clerical movie. Cluzo had spent an early part of his career living in Germany, writing and translating scripts during Hitler's rise to power. He was fired from UFA Studios for his friendships with some Jewish film producers. And not just because of the Nazi occupation can this be classified as a gothic horror film. Its melodramatic direction also includes supernatural and nightmarish elements. There are expressive uses of shadows and lighting contrast. And by using camera tricks, the director manages to challenge audience perception. Fortunately, there was quite an extensive budget for the film, which included materials that were considered extravagant by pre-war standards. Continental films aimed at providing quality films with commercial success. So if you missed this one next Tuesday when the Nelson Film Society will be screening it at the state, you won't have an easy time getting hold of this film to view at home. I know this is something that people did during during your more restricted lockdown, but this is one movie that I was not able to see first when it was due to screen in Auckland due to lockdown, but I did manage to get hold of a copy and watch it. So I do hope we we in Auckland will be rescreening it here next year. Okay. But I really do think you ought to go and see it. it it's, it's well worth it. It, like, I think you said it's it's under 19 minutes in length. Is that right? Yes, it's 84 minutes, it says. Wow, it seems like it must pack a heck of a lot in based on what you've said. Yeah, just, just with the different stylistic things and uh, little twists. It sounds very, very intriguing. And I, it's good that you mentioned the... the uh, the subtle digs at the occupying force, I guess, because this is one thing I wondered, if it was under occupation by the Nazis, how that impacted on what could be done. But obviously the the, the directors found a few ways around that. Yes, yes. I, I, and I, and had, had I not read all those, you know, about the film first, I yeah. think I, I would have missed you know, missed it. <laughs> yeah, well, look, so, hopefully people... Yeah, hopefully people can look out for those things. And that that's the, the pleasure of, you know, getting this sort of insight before you go. There's little keys that you can look out for and go, ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you've obviously enjoyed it. I did, yeah. My son in the States helped me to get a copy of the film. But he hadn't actually watched it and he was saying... 
So who did it? Who did it? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, you just have to watch it now. <laughs> good, good. Oh, look, it sounds like an absolutely fantastic film. The Murderer Lives at number 21 out of France, 1942. I, it's strange because if somebody had said to me, would films have been being made like this in France under German occupation, I would have thought no. I would have thought surely they would have all been just propaganda type things. So that, that's incredibly refreshing to hear. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Okay, Ali, that sounds absolutely fantastic. And of course, this week there is a change. It is showing at the State Cinema, not down at the Souter, correct? Uh, yes, yes. That's the information that I have. Okay, cool, cool. So there'll be more details, of course, if you go to the State Cinema's website to book your ticket. It'll obviously let you know what theatre this is showing in. Uh, yeah, because I guess uh, Italian Film Festival underway, and it probably makes it um, a little easier with some of the bigger cinemas to be able to squeeze people in with social distancing as well, I'm assuming. Yes, and I think there's, um, before you go into the cinema, there's like a two meter yeah, uh, restriction yeah. then you get in and it's one meter <laughs> uh, yeah sure, sure don't quote me on anything <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well yeah head along there's uh, a website there's the nelson film society uh, website just google nelson film society or you can get along to statecinemas.co.nz and there's uh, links to book your tickets there. Absolutely fantastic to catch up with you again, Ali. I'm assuming I won't be talking to you in this capacity again until probably uh, the season next year. Until next year. Right, well, we will catch you then. Yes, absolutely. A pleasure always talking to you, Ali. Uh, thank you very much for your uh, nice preview and synopsis of the Murderer Lives at number 21, showing at the State Cinemas on Tuesday night. Uh, that is Tuesday the 28th of September at 6. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.